0: UX Podcast, episode 270.
1: I'm James.
2: And I'm Pat.
1: And this is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, people, and society every other Friday for over a decade. And with listeners in 200 countries and territories, from
2: Syria to Saint Kitts and Nevis, Eva Pensimug is a user experience and safety designer and founder of the Inclusive Safety Project. And before joining the tech field, she worked in the nonprofit space and volunteered as a domestic violence educator and rape crisis counselor. Earlier this month, August 2021,
1: Eva she released her book Design for Safety through a book apart and we're pleased to have her on the show to teach us more about this problem space and how inclusive safety can be incorporated into our design work
2: so i'm thinking we should just start out with um, what made you write the book
0: well i wanted to reach more people than i could with my conference talk Designing against domestic violence which you know, I enjoy doing and was doing it in lots of conferences. But I was thinking, like, if I actually want people to know about this stuff, I need to find a way to get it to more people quickly. So um, a book was kind of the the best way that I could think of to do that.
2: And I, I think at this point, it's also good to pin down like the topic of the book because when you see when you see the word abuse, that can mean a lot of things.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when I talk about safety, and the title is Designed for Safety, I'm really talking about interpersonal safety, uh, especially in the context of domestic violence, but there's also some other contexts like child abuse, elder abuse, um, even things like roommates or employees, like sort of any situation where there's an interpersonal relationship and one person can kind of enact power over the other is a place where there's a possibility for abuse and safety issues. And that's specifically the part of it that I'm tackling in the book. Hmm.
2: Do you remember like one of the first examples of, of tech abuse that you came across?
0: Yeah. So the f- the very first time that I sort of like started putting this together in my head was um, actually like my first client at my the consultancy where I work, 8th Light. Um, I, it was a client that was essentially working on um, an app to manage the relationship um, and different tasks between people who live in, like, big apartment buildings and the sort of people who operate the building. And one of the things was, um, like, managing your guest list, your list of approved guests with the person who works at the front desk, so that, you know, your friend comes, they're on the list, they can just, you know, take the elevator up to your unit. And you don't have to go down to get them. Oh, right, because it's um, like a building
1: with a with a, um, a reception service or a porter service where they exactly. get met and then let it into the building. Right, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was thinking about um, a story that I remembered from um, a training I did when I was a rape crisis counselor, which is also sort of what led to me doing domestic violence education, um, thinking about how... Um, so abusers are just, they're the most like creative like dastardly people you know I'm not saying that in like a positive way but it is like a thing Um, they're very creative and very good at sort of finding finding ways in and finding new forms of abuse and I remembered a story about an abuser who had disguised himself as like a food delivery person so he had like the bag you know full of food and was like you know this person ordered this food but she didn't give me her unit number she she was very explicit she wants me to go right to her unit um, and then the, the front door person, like, let him, like, told him the unit number and let him go up. And this was one of those situations where it wasn't the tech that was really performing the abuse, but it was enabling it in some ways. And I was thinking, like, why isn't this situation accounted for in the software that the front door person is using? Like, they have the, the list of accepted guests, but what about a list of people who actually, like, should not be let up and who should, um, you know, if you see them actually like alert the tenant and possibly the police, if that's what they want. Um, So I was thinking like, it just felt in that moment, I was like, man, we're really falling short. We could be doing so much more and the technology side of it is could be really powerful because maybe the front door person doesn't need to like understand all this stuff. Not everyone needs to be a domestic violence expert, but if there was something in that software that like alerted them to the fact that this is a thing that happens, so that they could be aware of it, and then help keep that person safe in that moment, like, wouldn't that be amazing? And that's kind of when I sort of the light bulb went off of, there's like so much that could be done better in tech when it comes to interpersonal harm.
2: Hmm. And that's kind of the key, isn't it? Because I think what, what people, a lot of people think is that, well, anything can be misused and abused. But when it comes to the things that you're talking about, there's actually a lot of potential for doing better and designing safety into the Very technologies that we use.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's something that I think people just don't know about. And that's, that's always the feedback that I got when I was doing my conference talk is people would be like, I just had no idea. Like it's, it's not necessarily that people know about this and are choosing to ignore it. At least at this stage, it's more that people just literally don't understand that this is a thing. And once they understand it, they're more motivated to try to work against it. Um, So yeah, there is there's a lot that we can be doing if we just take the time to consider the abuse cases.
1: Now, that makes me want to one, I think, ask more about um, the harmful assumptions we make. I mean, the, you mentioned that um, in in the book that we we make harmful assumptions, but what are those kind of harmful assumptions that we, I suppose, fall into making?
0: Yeah. So, I think the main one is just the assumption that our users are sort of good people who aren't trying to use our product for any type of harm that they're not someone who is like abusing their wife or you know stalking their boyfriend or um you know invasively surveilling their elderly mother all these different things we just kind of assume that our users are good people and that we just have to enable the actual task of you know whatever it is setting up the device or using the software and that that's sort of the biggest problem that we have to overcome, um, and we just don't think too much about their their lives and their interpersonal relationships, um, because we haven't ever been taught to. So I think the big assumption is that people aren't trying to find ways to use our products for harm, which is an assumption, it's, and it's definitely not true.
1: I guess that's a, it's a safety mechanism for us as designers as well to to not delve into that area, because it's it's it probably doesn't feel great at first if you kind of jumping into the harmful well, of the harmful assumptions
0: yes yeah exactly james that is really spot on like it's yeah especially the domestic violence side like it's really hard it's it's really hard to to think about and to talk about and to learn about so it makes sense that people don't want to you know go to work uh, to their design job and be like thinking about this stuff because um, it is really dark and really tough especially you know statistically it's very likely that good chunk of our users are going through this but that also means it's statistically likely that you know like we have gone through it or someone on our team has gone through it so it's also you know that's another sort of barrier is um, if you have personal experience with this like you might understand it better but that also might actually just make it harder to talk about because now you're uh, kind of going through this, you're bringing up this really intense trauma in your workplace, and that's always hard. So there's there's a lot of reasons why I think we kind of just don't talk about this in the workplace, but ultimately that ends up just enabling the abusers and letting them do what they want.
1: Yeah, I and mean that's that's actually a some multi-layered aspect of that. There, that you, I think isn't there a statistic? Wasn't it thirty percent or something? I, I think you you mentioned um, about people who suffered from some kind of domestic violence which if you're in a cr- team of 10 you're exactly right there should be or depending on the maybe the, the makeup of that team then you're going to be talking about a couple of people in your team who have suffered from that and yeah that's great because you've got experience and awareness in the team but opening that up and or revealing that or discussing that in your team isn't going to be something that a lot of people are going to jump at the chance to do
0: yeah exactly right and it's it's something that like i don't know if either of you got to the part in the book about um sort of the reliance on diversity to sort of fix these problems which obviously diversity in tech is a huge problem and it is a huge part of the solution but i feel like there are some limitations and the one that i sort of worry about is the assumption that like you know a black person on the team is going to be expected or pressured to sort of get into their history of trauma that they've experienced because of their identities and same things with a domestic violence survivor or rape survivor whatever the sort of trauma is like we can't just expect that those people are gonna get into the some of the worst moments of their lives just you know at the 11 o'clock design brainstorm meeting um and we we do need obviously diverse people for many reasons but um i think sometimes people sort of don't get deeper into what that really means and if if the expectation is that those people are just there to like sort of share their trauma in order to help you with your product then that's you know it's not great
2: No. oh yeah. well, these are such good points um so so really and you make good points about uh how we include people with regards to do they get reimbursed? Do, do h- How do we uh, have empathy for people? Uh, all these things that are part of the research s- stages of understanding what is the problem space that we're really dealing with. Uh, can you give us some advice on how do we get started doing the right thing, even in the research phase?
0: Yeah, so research phase, um, again, it's sort of, I think, dealing with that assumption that people aren't going to try to weaponize our product for something nefarious. So Um, looking for articles or scholarly content. I use Google Scholar a lot for that, um, to see if there's just existing, you know, content out there about ways that similar products or similar features have been misused. So some of them are really easy, like if you're... If your product is going to have anything with, like, location data, there's obviously a lot of stuff out there about how that gets weaponized for stalking. Um, Sometimes it's a little tougher to find things that are existing. And, you know, a lot of times things are really emergent and it's not something that's been reported on yet. Um, Which is why there's a different phase for sort of brainstorming those novel abuse cases uh, for things that you haven't found just in your existing research. Uh, Yeah. Mm.
2: I w- it was interesting what you said about, uh, about people being creative, uh, the abusers being creative. And I, it's, it's, like, alarming to think of the extent they go to with dressing up, uh, like you gave the example of. Uh, I, I ha- just have to share with reading that story of, I think it's early on in the book, uh, where someone is stalked. I think it's the story uh, of Eric and Rob. Uh, mm. And he even the person being stalked is extremely tech-savvy. And can't figure it out. He keeps turning off all these GPS-enabled things. But actually, in the end, it turns out to be, I I think it's the car or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I read that, I was like, that could happen to me. And I'm tech savvy. And I always think that, and and, and just reading that, I realized, well, what? And I just started looking at my phone. What else could Mm -hmm. it be? I mean, yeah. And
1: it, it, really, it really creeped I me th- out. I thought, I would read that and thought a similar yeah. thing. Because we've yeah. discussed, yeah. I and mean, yeah. I, I mean, you have talked about how many years later, because we test so many things mm. and try so many yeah. things, you kind of go, oh, God, you know, why is that doing that? Mm. And you dig down mm. and you realize that you tested a service like six years ago and set up something mm. and you've forgotten about it. And then suddenly mm. it got triggered and it exactly. was doing something. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Very.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, well, I don't want to say it's like good that you feel that way because it is scary. But I think it's it's good for even people who work in tech and are very tech literate to realize like, oh, actually, this is all so like there's so many different ways that this can happen. And it can be so sneaky and it can be so like the car thing is so new, which is, I think, why it's especially scary. And people Mm. like a lot of people just don't realize that that can happen. Um, But there are documented cases of it happening. Um, as well as, you know, aside from just stalking, there's like, um, one case in, I think, Australia of a woman whose, um, ex-husband was doing things like unlocking the car doors remotely when the kids were in the car and then sort of using that as, um, like a reason that she was an unfit mother in their custody battle. So there's all these other things with cars that are really creepy. Um, but I think it's, I'm glad you bring it up because, one of the big sort of arguments against like my entire premise, which is that technologists need to be thinking about this and thinking about how to prevent and mitigate the harm. You know, people will say like, well, it's the user's responsibility to understand the products they're using. Um, Of course, these can be used against you. You need to know that. And then it's sort of your job to learn how to like identify that it's happening and regain control and whatever it is, Um, which I'm always like that assumes so much tech literacy that Mm. most people just don't have, but it's, I think at this point it's the case that even people who are very tech literate can still like fall victim to these things. It doesn't really matter because no one, no one can like take the time to like actually understand every single thing of every single piece of tech that they're using, especially when some of the stuff isn't going to be documented for a few years um, by, you know, either academics or, you know, journalists who are reporting on it. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's good to hear that. And like, Hopefully that helps some of those people who think that we should just be educating users more realize that actually it's, it can happen to anyone, even the most tech-savvy people. Therefore, we need to just be preventing it at the source.
1: I think this, um, for me, this ties in as well with uh, consent. And we, we talk about asking for informed consent and, and regularly asking consent um, for these kind of things. But um, at the same time, for me, I think um, one of the problems with consent is just related to what we're talking about now the complexity of what you're agreeing to and and understanding everything and and to expect all your users to be able to understand everything about every bit of consent you give is mm. i we we can't make that presumption at all ever really
0: right yeah no that's a good point and i think that's where it comes into play where it's really important to identify like okay so what are the parts of the product that we really need to prioritize the user understanding such as like you know this car interface you you can people can essentially um, have access to the location of the car at any time like that's that's a huge one like stalking can be so dangerous it can lead to all sorts of terrible things, you know, murder being the big one, which, you know, happens all the time. It's, you know, different in the, here in the U.S., it's three women every day are murdered by a current or former intimate partner. Um, and that statistic is not true in other places in the world. Um, it has a lot to do, I think, with our very easy access to guns here. But, um, but yeah, keeping people, you know, they're letting people keep their location secret is so important. So that's where I think it's like just taking the time to think like, yeah, we can't actually get our user to understand every piece of every feature and every every little thing. But we can prioritize and we can think about, like, what's going to be the most dangerous and then do something to say, like, hey, did you know that, you know, this, like, user is whatever the username is, it, is viewing your location? And they can be like, yeah, of course, whatever, and dismiss that little notification. Or they can be yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. And now I can make more informed decisions about my safety and that can be literally life-saving
2: yeah exactly that made me think of of uh, google uh, nest announcing that you will soon be able to use the google assistant on the nest device before they had even told anyone that it had a microphone it wasn't even a documentation it was like (sighs) oh oh this thing has a microphone oh okay so oh so even if you were (laughs) even if you read the manual it wasn't there and, and 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 of course they weren't using it they say but anyone can hack a microphone on a tech device.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's mm. really mm. creepy.
1: Mm. Oh, that's uh, that's really interesting that you got kind of mm. yeah, hardware tech in something mm. but because it's not in mm. use, it's not mm. a feature. So you don't need to talk about it. So you don't need Mm. to give consent to use it because it's not being, Oh God, that's such a, yeah.
0: See, uh, this is where it gets so, so, you know, obviously I I really believe that individuals and teams like doing this work is a really powerful thing and can make a huge difference. Um, But this is an example where it's like, man, our laws are so far behind. Like that shouldn't be legal. That just shouldn't even be a thing that can happen. Um, And our politicians need to catch up.
1: But then we also got the we also we we got the thing like um, you know there's been all this talk over the years about how Apple, for example, are um, are crippling devices. Now they reduce the the CPU level. You know they make them slower, and they say it's because of um, oh your battery's getting old or whatever. They're protecting the they're making sure your device keeps running. So you you've got organisations of companies that are providing hardware are messing with your hardware google with a nest and it doesn't have a microphone now it does have a microphone so all these situations where we've we've got people playing with devices which you have maybe learned to understand what they are you've you've got a physical object you've got an understanding of that object suddenly it changes so that that then makes your understanding of what it's capable of and what you, you know, what you're at risk of instantly changes as well
0: right it's i mean it feels like an impossible task to ask people to just be able to keep up with all that Including like somehow foreseeing mm. that there's hardware that was literally never mentioned and that you couldn't see like how how on earth could someone intuit that that was <laughs> there like that's impossible mm-hmm.
2: and 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 speaking of regulation i mean how how will the legislators how will they become aware enough to understand what they have to do to legislate and create policies and, and laws around these companies
0: Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> good question, big question, <laughs> I think um i mean yeah gosh i i don't know much about like swedish politics Mm -hmm. i know here in the u.s um you know there's a big problem with some of the elderly uh people in congress not under literally not understanding you know they asked mark zuckerberg like well how do you make money if you don't if this product is free and he was like well we we sell ads like people don't even have that sort of level of understanding um i am hopeful with people like alexandria ocasio cortez um in the mix now who are younger who are tech savvy who understand these things um and they did actually just introduce a really good law about um, algorithmic bias and it's sort of working its way through some committees right now Um, and it's actually like a really good law that activists are really happy with so i think there is hope but I, i feel like to actually answer your question the thing that has to come first is like public opinion has to turn against these companies and that is happening and it is it's very hopeful i think that's Mm -hmm. you know i think usually it's like activists working on things um academics working on things people who work in the space like in the actual industry starting to understand the harms and then that sort of going out into the wider world and um the sort of average people starting to say like oh yeah actually i don't i don't like this this is harmful um and then that's when politicians start to take notice so um, i think that is starting to happen in tech which is very very nice to see yeah
1: is um is is our is how we deal with and assist the the victims or survivors i think you you call it in the book of of um of this kind of abuse g- are they part of how we can increase awareness and and come with a oh, help change the the world and, and change the policies around it d- can we i, d- I don't want to say leverage survivors it sounds absolutely awful but um, no w- yeah, to yeah yeah
0: definitely um and i think yeah per kind of mentioned this earlier but the idea of like paying people for their lived experiences because they are the experts in the topic they've they've literally lived through it and had the experience and that is very valuable information that you know the average person who hasn't gone through that just doesn't have um and yeah so centering survivors as well as working with you know the sort of experts you know people who Work in shelters, like lawyers who work with uh, survivors on different things, like those sorts of people in the support space. Um, those two groups are so essential to work with as we as we craft this. Just as like the survivors of any sort of abuse or harm should be at the center of of the the work to actually fix it. It's like if we're not fixing it for them, like who are we fixing it for? Um, so they always need to be at the center for sure. Mm.
2: And you have a whole chapter on interviewing vulnerable users, and I think that there's some really, really good tips there. One of my favorite being to actually uh, see the value in having therapy (laughs) and getting that ahead of time.
0: Yeah, I could not um, pass up the chance to hype therapy Mm. for those Mm. who have access to it. I think it's really important. I mean, just in general as a human being on this planet, but especially if you're going to be taking on some of these tougher issues Um, it is really tough to like sit down and like read about domestic violence or these different things for a few hours Um, you come across so many horrible things and having a therapist who can help you sort of work through that is definitely key especially as i think about you know this idea that changing tech for the better is a marathon not a sprint and it's years if not decades and we need to be able to sort of persevere through that. Um, I think prioritizing your mental health and figuring out how to make it a long term thing is really important, especially because like the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world are counting on us to give up after a little bit and to not put a sustained effort in.
2: Hmm. That's such a good point. And towards the end of the book, you, you use the seatbelt as an example of how, how you have to actually let it take time
0: yeah yeah uh, i'm so, I'm very obsessed with the history of the seatbelt It's such a good way to look at a paradigm shift and how it happens and um, the sort of different phases it has to go through and with the seatbelt it was it was like thirty two years between um, seatbelts being introduced and like meaningful laws and actual changes around um, the creation of a branch of our government that actually manages like you know, things like car safety and road safety. Um, And then they, you know, passed a law that said like, hey, car manufacturers, you have to just have seatbelts as a standard. You can't, they can't be an add-on feature that you charge like a few thousand extra dollars for. Um, You can't put your profits over user safety, which is really cool. Uh, But that was 32 years. And I think, you know, that was, that started in the 50s and 60s. So I think we're able to move a little faster now and people are able to get educated on like information and, uh, you know, understand the sort of harms of the internet and of tech much more quickly than they were able to understand the harms of what car manufacturers are doing but it's it's essentially the same thing like all of all of the same things that were happening with the car makers in the 60s are happening with tech right now and it did change and now they're really regulated you can't have a car without a seat belt
1: and you're not allowed to drive them without wearing the belt yes and i know when i was when i was a child it was wasn 't a legal requirement to put a belt mm. on, so I still have memories of of, of s- sitting in the middle between the two front seats so I could kind of like see better and and talk to my parents and everything which you know it 's crazy when i when I think about that how that was growing up um you know being in such a dangerous position in the car, but I remember the m- when they changed the law, we all had to be belted up yeah. um, but you 're right it takes so much time i mean the mechanisms and processes we have in place in many countries are are still not designed and equipped for. The kind of technology um that well and the pace of technological change that we're living with
0: yeah right exactly and this is kind of what i was saying earlier is that like laws laws are always like the cap like they're always the last thing you know we don't we have to work really hard we have to fight really hard like politicians don't just give us like the safe right things without us without them having like a ton of pressure put on them and maybe that's changing with like the alexandria ocasio cortez's of the world um coming into power things like that are very hopeful but you know for the most part most politicians it's like until all of their constituents are like demanding something they're not just going to look at tech and be like oh this is causing a lot of harm we should probably regulate it especially when you know there's lobbying powers and companies can basically have the same rights as humans in the u.s when it comes to donating to political parties and campaigns which is you know there's so many different problems to tackle but um yeah. This anyway, the seatbelt thing is very instructive, and I'm very obsessed with that story.
2: And it's a Swedish invention. I just had to get that in.
0: It is. Yeah, I was, was going to bring that up. For your I was
1: waiting because <laughs> I, I knew he, he always mentions it's Swedish <laughs> when we talk about safety belts. It always comes up. I was sat here thinking, no,
0: he hasn't mentioned it yet. When's it coming? Yes, yeah, so we have the Swedes oh. to mm. thank for that.
1: Mm.
2: <laughs> I have one. F- oh, you I go ahead, to th- James.
1: Oh. I see. I was going to have a final question as well, but yeah. maybe we can have both our final questions if we're <laughs> quick enough. The, so, so I am in a, I am mean in a team, and we've we've not really considered safety um, in our, our our product earlier. How how do I get started here? What's what's my what's my first step in in the team to get? Yeah, us going? can
0: I ask? Um, do you do you have a, like a leadership position on the team? Are you in charge?
1: In this fictional team we're thinking of. No, I'm not. I'm a member of the
0: team. Um, Well, I wanted to ask because I think like I'm trying to be very intentional that it's it's like the leaders in tech who are ultimately sort of responsible for this. And I'm, you know, I'm trying not to say Facebook. I'm trying to say like the people who run Facebook because those are the people who are accountable ultimately. Um, And I think any sort of like team director, team leader should be leading out on this again instead of waiting for your team to come to you and like make the case um, but recognizing that most of us are not in that position of power um, I think getting started uh, my advice is to like first sort of get an ally on the team so to start sort of building that power a little bit behind the scenes maybe that sounds like creepy or um, unnecessary but I think it's really hard to go it alone and having having at least one other person who's like yeah this is really important and then sort of having a plan for when you bring it up that they'll immediately back you and be like yes I agree with James that is extremely important and that's going to be very powerful um, because being isolated can be really really tough so starting with that and then just um, I have the process in the book sort of five steps that you know people can use sort of overlay on their design process and just like taking a look at that and being like yeah let's do some research let's set aside two hours for a brainstorm like there are very specific discrete activities you can do so just finding the time for that and making the case with your your leader your stakeholder whoever it is who approves that that this is something we really need to do and that it's not going to take it's not going to be like that much time and money it's it's ultimately pretty quick to do this work
2: Hmm. that's really good advice I actually just wanted to end on, uh, you've been doing this for a while now. What signs of hope are you seeing for positive change?
0: Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of signs of hope actually. Um, The law that I mentioned earlier about um, biased algorithms that is in Congress right now is just so exciting um, to see because it it does mark that public opinion is shifting. um, And that's the other thing that gives me a lot of hope is that I think nearly everyone in tech sees at least some forms of harm even if it's not the one that I'm focused on they understand you know the issues with misinformation or you know online harassment like whatever it is people are starting to realize you know we've gone through this shift of like Facebook is the best and Twitter is amazing and like what an amazing thing the internet is to like wow there's so many problems this is doing so much harm and seeing the sort of average person who doesn't work in tech start to be like oh wow this is all really messed up and we need to do something about it is something that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah.
2: The awareness is key. And I think the mm. answer to my previous question on how to get the legislators to take notice and understand is that you you put their your book in their hands. <laughs> Obviously.
0: Yeah. That's, that would also be good.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much, Eva. This has been really exciting.
0: Yeah, thanks. This was a really fun conversation. <laughs> thanks for having me. <coughs>
2: So when talking about default passwords, uh, which is also something that uh, Eva has an example of in her book, uh, especially I think when it comes to ring cameras and people hacking into ring cameras because they didn't change the default password that came with the device. Ring cameras.
1: This is the this is the doorbell. With a camera, Right. Yeah? This
2: is uh, really, uh, really prevalent, I think, in the U.S. It seems a lot of people are talking about it on Twitter that people have these door cameras yeah. uh, that are motion-sensitive so that pe- either when people ring the bell or actually when just people pass by outside, it actually films them. And this is a huge problem in itself in that people actually save those things. They upload them to, to into the Internet, and they have oh, ring watch parties. You funny, uh, got funny clips. Yeah, people coming yeah, to the right, door and yeah. things happening. Yeah, okay. So... Whatever we talk about, there's something... Yeah, it, it, that is actually, to Eva's point, everything is being abused. Uh, but the point here was that people were also using default passwords to hack into other pe- people's devices, downloading their movie material. Hmm. Uh, and there was a law passed in California, I think it's two years now ago now, that actually prevents uh, companies from doing this and, and it, or prohibits them from doing this, and especially when it comes, comes to Wi-Fi routers, but I think it actually propagated to, to other devices as well because previously people could just go into people's Wi-Fi networks because they just kept the default password. Just admin, admin. If, you know that's what it's going to be. Right. Yeah. If, if, if same same everywhere. Or you can just do a, a search online and find the default password for device. Yeah. The interesting thing about that law being passed in California, of course, is that why would they make one device somewhere that has a default password and so one device for California? Because they just changed all devices to not have a default password. So And that, of course, e- even more propagates <laughs> throughout the world as there are so many things that actually come out of California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just by that law being passed in one local place, it actually affected most of the world.
1: Yeah. And I think we, uh, now I think there might be different laws, um, but before, used to be the case that a lot of social media and so on, they were limited to be used by 13-year-olds, had uh, to be older than 13. Mm. And that wasn't because of any law in a European country. It was because of, a law in California that said yeah. you had to be 13 to use these services, and they just mm. didn't really bother mm. um, a- adjusting or internationalizing um, mm. these services for every single place in the world, every jurisdiction in the world. Mm. Um, so it became it became kind of like urban myth that oh, well, you have to be 13 to use a service. Yeah, you do, but it oh it
2: yeah, it but it has nothing to do with the local law. No, it's not, not the country. law. It's yeah. exactly yeah.
1: It's, yeah. There, it's maybe certain mm. of the service based on mm. a Californian law, yeah. but it all gets very grey. And I think that's that's a really interesting and, and complex issue, um, not that the rest of it isn't complex, but this whole thing about interna- uh, internationalization, mm. um, that um, Eva, Eva, she talked a few, uh, mentioned a few American um, examples and laws and so on, and they all these laws and situations. Well, what your context is in one country, and your mm, what is a privacy nightmare in one place um, is a cultural norm somewhere else. Um, mm. I think in Eva's book, she has um, um, I think name and address being an example. Like, um, revealing name and address um, can be a real privacy issue um, for Americans because it allows mm. you to do certain things. Same same in many countries, whereas here in Sweden. Re- your name and address isn't really a big issue. Right. Because, I mean, you can find it out pretty easily. It's not, mm. it's, it's not that hidden. I mean, it's, it's still personal information, mm. but the, the, the culture around your name and address isn't, isn't quite the same as it is in, in, in other places.
2: Exactly. Another example would be dating apps, because dating apps, they start in the U.S. often, and then they start being used in in lots of countries around the world. Uh, And I know that uh, in certain cases that these dating apps have been used by authorities to track track down people who are homosexual because being homosexual is outlawed in 70 countries around the world. And sometimes it leads to jail and sometimes it just leads to harassment and sometimes to murder.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And, and cultural, mm. even cultural norms in the, in the um, family or household can, can mm. vary um, depending on about, I mean, I mean maybe the, again, example here is that um, your children would walk to school here by themselves, maybe, or take themselves to school. Whereas in mm. an, in uh, the UK nowadays that wouldn't happen. You'd be taken by your parents back. I mean, so so some technology might might be there and might be accepted to help you. That so you, you can't. What might seem as like an alarming thing that like you can track something or do something or or respond to something, um, it might well be in a certain country, but mm. it might not be exactly the, sec- the same situation somewhere else. Mm. So this is me not judging things as good and bad. On country, I mean, it's not it's not okay that maybe domestic violence happens in a certain country because that's just how the culture is. Mm. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just it's more that I'm kind of trying to lift the the international aspect that we're, yeah, I think we're you, always you have to
2: acknowledge how yeah you also you uh, talking about assumptions that we were talking about early on in the interview uh, with Eva it was the assumptions that we have. We always assume that the ones we are designing for, we know them and we know how they are and how what fa- we know what families look like, and but we really don't because we don't know where and how and how it's yeah. going to be used I, like think, I think
1: that's yeah. probably what I'm getting at this whole thing mm-hmm. about um, how we take that step um, mm-hmm. to get going with all this and mm-hmm. um, maybe one of maybe and uh, a relatively easy exercise is to say okay what if our product is using country X to make, to make you start thinking mm-hmm. beyond your culture yeah. beyond your country because we've, we've seen time mm-hmm. and time again how the Americanization of the internet that we're using has caused mm-hmm. many many problems and, and mm. in countries that are less American, or whatever that phrase means, um, mm. you can potentially cause, like you, your example now with, um, uh, with homosexuality, yeah. in, in some countries you can weaponize these products easier, governments can, people can, in different mm. ways. So if you start thinking about, you know, beyond your culture, um, that maybe is a healthy um,
2: starting point, or a potential Def- starting point. definitely. We have a recommended listening episode uh, that you've p- put into our show notes, James. It's Oblivious Design, episode 166. Yeah, this is a um, chat from about four years ago, um, which I, at least
1: I started off the episode by interviewing you, because yeah. you'd launched,
2: uh, what do you call it, a web service? <laughs> um, People call it app, even though it's just a website. Right. Really, okay, yeah.
1: but an app called um, Dick Pick Locator. Yeah. Which is exactly what it sounds like, um, and but that was that was a, a, an ethical exercise on your part, um, oh, an awareness, an
2: ethical awareness um, initiative. It really was exactly. I mean, those tools are d- a dime a dozen, really, on the internet. My my <laughs> contribution, as you said, really was the name, so people understood what it could be used for.
1: And and so we had a discussion around um, what we coined as uh, named as oblivious design. How, you, how there's so many unintentional uses of things that we create and I think that conversation and that episode m- fits in really nicely with um, the topic of Eva's book um, mm. given that we you know presuming that your product can, ma- can do harm um, is a similar idea to the, all the different uses that may come in the future that you are oblivious to because of the narrow set of scenarios you start off
2: with. Exactly. So you are, have been assimilating quite a number of volunteers, James. Uh, they have been a fantastic help. They have. And we have, we have several teams now. What are
1: they? Yes, we have one team that helps us with uh, checking through the transcripts. We have another team that helps us with publishing those completed transcripts. And now we have a, a third team which are listening to the episodes in advance, going through and picking out all the references they can find and finding useful links according to what we've said. Um, and um that team i really love to grow because it does help us the time we get from listeners is worth so much money to us effectively it helps reduce the the cost of doing this podcast and makes it keep on ticking so
2: and i think i I think uh a lot of people don't take the time to visit the show notes but I i know that if you do and you find something especially interesting there's there are lots of links to read further there and sometimes videos to watch, and sometimes some of my mind maps <laughs> to, to look at. And, and, I mean, there's so much content beyond what we're talking about on the show. There's something more to dive in on if you take the time to visit the show, show notes as well. These shows are always a starting point for discussions,
1: mm. inspiration, learning, and we'd love your help to keep doing it so email us or get in touch with us doesn't matter how you do it although we recommend you don't use smoke signals we found they're difficult to get across from australia Um, but um, hey at um, uspodcast.com h-e-y or h-e-j h-a-y i should say no hold on which one do we use i've made a mess of that both of them h-e-j
2: and h-e-y Swedish or English spelling, <laughs> as we say. Okay, remember to keep moving. See you on other side. I don't trust stairs
1: You don't trust
2: stairs? Yeah, they're always up to something Apart from my stairs to my cellar